This episode is brought to you by Repatriation, the new indie drama from Indie Rights. Directed by Douglas Mueller and starring Ryan Barton Grimley, you can find Repatriation on iTunes and Amazon Video. I have no idea how many horror movies destroy houses. Yeah. I feel like every movie we watch, it's either burns or explodes or implodes right. or maybe that's sucked like into a, another dimension. Maybe that's a lesson we should just learn really early on is like once even shit just starts to go down, just like burn it, burn the house immediately, everything, <laughs> burn the whole thing. Like, because we're going to get to that point in about an hour anyway. So Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hey everyone. Hello. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. My name is Julia. I'm Marion, and this is the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording here at the Circus. This is episode 17, all about... 1989's Pet Cemetery. This episode is titled Sometimes Dead is Better. Sometimes Dead is Better. They say that a lot in this movie. It's fucking true. Bunches. It's necessary to say that. That in is this a movie. lesson learned in this movie. That is the theme of this movie. But before we go into this movie, um, you and I just took a little trip recently. We sure did. <laughs> it, it's, we were, it was very cool. Uh, we went out to Phoenix, Arizona to talk to students at ASU about this podcast. Yeah. And uh, I got to relive this. It's all this very circular craziness where, uh, so I, I introduced Marion to mm-hmm. horror movies with Nightmare on Elm Street. And so we went to this uh, college and we made the students watch Nightmare on Elm Street right. and then talk about it. And there was a majority of the class who had never seen it before. Yeah. So I was able to, to again, corrupt youth <laughs> with Wes Craven. Thank you, Wes Craven. And it was great, too, because I felt like a lot of their experiences were similar to mine. Like, there were definitely a couple kids who were, you know, like, meh, you know, whatever. Um, but I felt like, so, like there were a couple of them that were just like, oh, my gosh, like this scene and then that scene and then this other time. And then I didn't think. And then also, like, it was pretty great. They were really interactive and, yeah. like, really, you know, were interested in the history behind it. And mm-hmm. I was able to... Uh, implore them to watch horror movies with an audience totally. which is always paramount mm-hmm. and to also uh, watch things from before they were born yeah and that was the other thing too was that we had a good time or I had a good time anyway about talking about the context under which you should see these movies and really think about like things that came after that movie and none of those existing and watching this movie under that kind of uh sort of view and uh and it was really interesting yeah um, and there was actually a student who came up with a theory with Nightmare on Elm Street which I had never thought oh, yeah, of before yeah, yeah. Because we were asking, like, you know, what they thought about Nancy and how cool she is, and she kicks ass, and she right. wins in the end. And they're like, but she's dead. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, they, they have, like, the weird tacked-on bit at the end, and she's like, goes off with her friends, and then Freddie the car comes, and, like, she's dead. And I was like, oh, I guess you could read it that way. That is- and if she doesn't know that mm-hmm. there's, you know, Nightmare 3 where Nancy comes back, she just knows this film. Sure. So I was like, oh. And it, well, I guess it's also funny, too, because we see it so much, I think, from sort of the perspective of filmmakers that, like, to us, the ending is super duper tacked on. I just mentally erase it and Totally. Time. And I think we even said that. We were like, yeah, yeah, it's the last five, mo- five minutes, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this girl was like, no, no, the end of the movie. And we're like, I guess, yeah, I guess yeah. so. I guess that's the end of the movie. Um, yeah, it was super fun. So massive shout out to uh, Matthew Sandoval for organizing that whole thing for us and for the school for having us. We had a really great time. We did. Yeah. So uh, so I recently, uh, so it obviously came out fairly recently, and uh, I've seen it uh, five times in the theater. 
And it, it started me down another uh, Stephen King rabbit hole, which has happened to me several times in my life where I just start and then I can't stop. So the first time was in junior high. Like for me, I never did like the Goosebumps R.L. Stein thing. I was like, I'm going to fucking Stephen King, man. I don't need your like childhood bullshit. And so <laughs> I was reading it on the bus in junior high and like was reading Carrie and, you know, all of these books. And so... I find with Stephen King, like, once you start, you can't stop. And, like, I get in these, like, so I'm in one of those right now. Mm -hmm. So because of that, Mm -hmm. all of November, we're going to be talking about Stephen King films. Yes. So we are starting off today with 1989's Pet Cemetery, Mm -hmm. which has a very dear place in my heart because it is the first horror movie I can remember really liking. Okay. And I had it on VHS, and I used to watch it all the time, like, probably too much. And yeah, I was really, really into it. And mm-hmm. like, I would bring it to slumber parties and like, I dressed up as Gage for Halloween one year. Oh, that's amazing. So it was like the whole, the whole thing. So this, this film I think is, is a, is a really special one. Yeah, no, I do. This is a movie I had heard about a lot. I think I had gone to a few slumber, slumber parties that were showing this film. And I think that's when I might've like skirted off to the kitchen a few times because okay. it's like, it's the, intense. It is intense. And also this movie is loud, loud. So I felt like I feel like there are things in this movie that the first time I saw it I'm like mm, I've I've heard the sequence before I've heard the whole truck thing that we'll right. uh, come to later I'm um, like I've heard the sequence I've heard where the truck drivers sing in the Ramones uh yeah but well yeah that sequence and then also just in general like the the trucks are such a big yeah. factor of this film and so um yeah so this movie had some familiarity for me uh so this film it might be the most autobiographical to Stephen King because it's about he lived in a place in Maine right on a freeway like that where there were trucks going by and his daughter's cat got killed oh that's right yeah and there was an actual pet cemetery behind his house so it's like all right there that Uh all really happened the filming for this film took place 20 minutes away from where he actually lived that's awesome so they he was just like on set all the time he did the screenplay for this Mm -hmm. and uh isn't is the minister in the the funeral sequence which is great sweet cameo um so this film uh george romero was originally going to direct Mm. um so if you can imagine george romero's pet cemetery okay Um, also tom savini Turned okay. it down. So... Like not enough stuff for him to... I don't know. Okay. There's some good effects in this, but... No, I don't, for sure. I don't know. Didn't, didn't want to do it. So... Interesting. Um, it fell to Mary Lambert, mm-hmm. which is no small... No no small potatoes, Mary no, Lambert. No, definitely. And I, it's funny, too, because I was sort of re- reading a little bit about her, and she was this massive music video director. Did mm-hmm. all these videos for, like, Madonna and Janet Jackson and Sting, and was just, like, the go-to music video person. And I think this is her second feature, mm-hmm. I think. And it's just... I don't know. That just seems a really interesting transition from, like... Like, you know, like a prayer to Pet Cemetery. Um, they they kind of go together. I like the, the, both of those things. I mean, I think I think it's really awesome. And I'm like, wow, that's really, I don't know. Like, like George Romero, sure, I get that. That makes sense. But like like Madonna music video lady, like, all right. You hey, know, like Mark Romanek's done it. David Fincher's done no, it. No, for sure. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So I read something on the internet. And if I read it on the internet, it must be true. Okay. That... The person that they originally wanted for Lewis Creed, this is going to blow your mind. Okay. Bruce Campbell. Can you imagine? I'm like fully mulling this right now. Like she's fully like, serious yeah. Bruce Campbell. But would it be fully serious Bruce Campbell? Maybe that's why they didn't. But I don't know. Like I, I'd like I, a picture in my head, him like going like full Lewis Creed. Yeah. Like you'd have to. No. Actually, that is kind of great now that, that I think about great, it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I want to see no the, offense, like, Dill McKiff, the but, like um, George Romero directed Bruce Campbell oh, starring 
Okay, the two of those together, that would be pretty exciting. So we have like, again, we'll, we'll fawn over the, the alternate universe version of this totally. movie in our head. There's some slow motion shots right now that I'm picturing Bruce Campbell doing in this movie. I'm like, oh, so exciting. Again, no no fault to Dale Midkiff. No, Dale um, Midkiff does a great job. Yeah. Um, so the basic premise of this movie is uh, the creeds, right? Like move to, does it, is, it, it's supposed to be in Maine. It is in Maine. It's okay. in Ludlow, Maine. Ludlow, Maine. It's okay. Stephen King, so it's got to be Maine. Sure. Um, they move to Maine. They're like sweet new house. He's like the town doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have their two adorable children, mm-hmm. the youngest of which is Gage. Who is possibly the cutest kid ever put on film. Pretty cute. Played by Mikael Hughes. Um, and uh, they move into this house, and Fred Gwynn is the neighbor across the street. Um, who's Who is so interesting to me in this movie, because he's like this weird combination of kind of cuddly and also foreboding at the same time. His voice is amazing. And his it, main accent? It, yeah, it's like this, but he's got this like reverb in his voice that makes it sound like he's always mic'd up to like some sort of amp that's like you can't see. And he's <laughs> and he's, he's so huge. And he's enormous. And it's just, yeah, so he lives, anyway, he's the neighbor across the street. Their house is big and amazing and beautiful. Um, but they live on the most dangerous road in America. Like, uh, just from the opening shot, it's like they're pulling in and they see the neighbor across the street and there are trucks big back trucks that haul down this road like at a hundred miles an hour, like feet from their front yard. Yeah. And it's just from the beginning of this movie, you're like, but the, the road, the horrible, terrifying road with two young children and a cat. Okay. That's, I mean, I'm just saying like early days, maybe some sort of, but it's elaborate. It's system. I know. I know. So. Yeah. I read that. Cause this, uh, Stephen King's son ran into the road and he like went and grabbed him before a truck had hit him. Right. And that was sort of the impetus of this mm-hmm. partially. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty terrifying. But anyway, mistake number one, perhaps. House is beautiful. Terrifying road. You have no fence. I'm just saying. Um, so basically, yeah, they move in and they're introduced to, down a path near their property, a pet cemetery, um, which the beginning of this movie, I sort of really enjoy, like the creepy music and shots, mm-hmm. like really detail-oriented shots of all the different pets because it's not just cats and dogs. It's like goldfish and hamsters. Uh-huh. and a Jed Crandall takes them down the path to, uh-huh. to tell them the story. The story, It's yeah. a place where the dead speak. Right. And I feel like Denise Crosby, who is the mother in this film, um, Rachel, is already in early days of this not not okay, does not particularly enjoy it. But yeah, you can tell there's something about cemeteries that that make her nervous. Not a fan, not a fan. Um, And they have these great uh, foreboding shots of the woods beyond just kind of crackling in the distance, waiting, waiting. And there is, you know, sometimes in these movies, they don't uh, there's another Stephen King movie we'll talk about later that, you know, foreboding, they're not really necessarily into that. But this movie is very much into that. Like, there's a lot of kind of fake scares early on and sort of like, oh, it kind of looks like this is a beautiful house and this is going to be great, but like, all is not well. They have that sort of housekeeper, Missy, mm-hmm. who has this issue with her stomach and is kind of strange and sort of says strange things. And like, you know, Fred Gwynn's like amazing, but then also, I don't know, it's a little scary as well. And um, and then you're introduced to the pet cemetery. They also, you also meet the cat church, uh-huh. um, this like dark cat. And I kind of felt bad for the cat in this movie too, because there's a lot of like cat scares where like someone's like walking past a tree, then like the cat's in the tree. But it looked a lot like a cat being like thrown yep. off camera into the spot where yep. it's supposed to scare. Mm-hmm. And they did that a lot. And every time it did it, I was like, oh, oh poor cat. You know, the cat just looks irritated because you're like, you just keep throwing a cat into shot, you know? Yeah, you, there's a cat that gets thrown into a bath. 
Yeah, you so know, you're just, just like, like some guy, like poor PA on uh, camera who's uh, got to be holding this cat. All right, uh, ready? Ready? Get, get ready to throw go. it. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then later it's just like endless shots of like the cat just like hissing these horrible hisses. That how you're do you just, get cats to do that? I just don't, fe- I don't know how they did it in 1989, but the I don't cat know. It's fine. Cats, know. plural. I there were many feel, cats. I kind of feel bad for the cat. Um, but Church is a cat that we're... If you feel bad for the cat, then uh, this is the wrong movie for you. I'm those. I'm one of those people who feels bad for the horses and the war movies when right. like, you know, hundreds and thousands of men are being slaughtered, but like one horsey fell and, you know, I feel bad for that. That's 100% me. Um, That's human nature. It's, it makes no sense. So in this movie, I'm like, oh. Um, but they sort of talk about in the early part of this film about how, you know, you got to be careful. You got to watch Church, you know, don't make sure you get him fixed because, right. you know, he'll wander if you don't otherwise... Um, and they also bust out this cat carrier in the movie, which is insane to me. This all glass, see-through cat carrier, this movie cat carrier yeah. that's just, so you understand, a live cat. is it, I'm like, nobody, no cat owner owns that cat carrier. I don't know. The Creeds do. I guess so. I'm like, all right, I don't know where you guys got that cat carrier. Um, and they have this this very sad uh, Missy, their, their uh, housekeeper, uh, kills herself in this yeah. movie, hangs herself. And it's this very, like, it's just one scene away from her, like, with, with everybody. And it's yeah. just really upsetting. It's and super. Like, because she's, she's, like, working up the courage to do it. And then her foot slips and, like, knocks the table out of the and way. And she does the thing where she, like, writes the note and then pins it to herself. Yeah. Just so you all know what's going on. I killed myself. I don't know why it is specifically about the note and pinning it to yourself versus the note and leaving it on the desk. Yeah, but, the like, difference? the pinning. I don't know. The pinning's very sad. Because there's something, like, you're already sort of treating your body like... A body, yeah, rather than like a live person, because like live people don't walk around with notes pinned to themselves. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't know, but you know what if I mean. Lost, like, return to. If not, yeah, like patting to bear style. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, that sequence is very sad. But eventually, uh, Church does get run over, and so begineth our tale. Yes. So, um, but before that, we should mention um, there's a there's a character who comes in named Victor Pascal. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, he Lewis is a, a doctor at the university, mm-hmm. and there's a, a student who's jogging who got hit by a truck, of course, mm-hmm. uh, who comes in, and it's really gnarly. Like the because that whole sequence is just like his head. Look at his brains, and yeah. his head, his brains. It's like there he comes up through the camera like brains first, you uh-huh. know, right towards the lens. And apparently that day. Uh, nobody on set would sit with him to eat. I mean, yes, correct. Like, like you oh, need, you need just the actors of, just sitting there going, "Oh, guys." I know, but they got to give that guy some sort of hat or something because <laughs> that thing looks terrible. But <laughs> he's such an interesting character because he's so incredibly gnarly looking, mm-hmm. but so good. He becomes good, but I don't think we're supposed to think that early days because he, you know, he gets hit. Lewis tries to save him. He can't. He dies. It seems. But before he left, before he dies, he says his name. Correct. Which he had, there's no way he would know, and mm-hmm. he, he chokes out. Uh, the The soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what that means. Maybe if I was a man, I would understand. I mean, it kind of comes back around later in this movie, but stonier than a woman's heart. I think so. Do I think it's a stonier than not have stones in them. Not as much as a here. I will come back to this later because <laughs> okay. I think I might have an interpretation for this. Oh, um, interesting. I think I might. Yeah. Um, Stephen King's going to be like, no, you girls are morons. But I think I think I might. I think I might know. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we lo- so so Victor dies, and then uh, and then I think that's the night where Lewis goes home and goes to sleep and, and wakes up in the middle of the night. Yeah, dreams. And Victor is standing there with his horrible head wound, and it's like, follow me. But he's very pleasant. Like, come on, Doc. Yeah, come on, wake up, Doc. Let's go. I just look horrible. He looks terrible, but mm-hmm. he's really good meaning. So he takes him out to the pet cemetery and mm-hmm. tells him to not go beyond the uh, the ground is sour. So right beyond this like thing of like sticks that glow. Which is probably right. Yeah, like, don't sure. go past the glowing. Sticks. Don't go past the glowing sticks. Um, I uh, there's so uh, Lewis uh, 
Victor tells him all this stuff, and Lewis kind of uh, just eventually can't shuts down, can't take it anymore, and just gets on the ground, and starts shaking, and like who wants to wake up? Uh-huh. Um, and the the when I watched Nightmare on Elm Street two the mm-hmm. first time, that was the first horror movie I ever saw that Freddy Krueger like scared the hell out of me. Okay, and I can remember shaking like that, like really? that's how terrified I was of Freddy Krueger. Wow, just FYI. that's just like full adrenaline. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, so Lewis wakes up the next morning and has, his feet are muddy. So we know that he has actually gone out. Yes, that was all real. Right. So we've met. We so we've been introduced to the pet cemetery. We've also gotten the warning about what you should absolutely not do in the pet cemetery. Uh, Rachel and the kids go off to Chicago to hang out with her parents, uh, who, who don't Lewis, like Lewis. Who don't like Lewis. Um, He's a doctor, though. I mean, Every, it's like, everybody wants their kid. Yeah, to marry a the incredibly handsome doctor. You guys are not into. Okay, movie convenience. Um, but so he's left by himself with church, uh, and uh, Fred Quinn calls and says, yeah, I've got a dead cat across the street. Um, and he, because he realizes that, like, it's his young daughter's cat and how she'll ups- upset she'll be, and she's not ready to learn about death yet, and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I know where you can bury this cat. And it, they go past the sticks, really far past the sticks. Really far. In this sort of open... I don't even know how you would describe it. This like rock. It's like not really a pentagram, but it's kind of it's pentagram. formation. Yeah. The Micmac uh, Indian burial ground. Right. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Bury your cat here, right here. All right. But you have to do it by yourself because each buries his own. Right. I can't help you. Right. So if, if I do that, if I'm like, hey, Marion, come bury your cat over here. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to watch you do it. I'm and not going to tell you why. But that's the thing. It's like we have to trek like an hour to go bury my cat. And then this is the rock formation that you see. And P.S. I'm not going to help you with it because I can't. Eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. Right. And then I don't know. You just kind of feel how this is going to go. Um, but Lewis just kind of goes along with it. Like doesn't seem particularly. Well, Judd's not a very, he's not a scary figure. So you feel like, like, oh, he's just like this nice neighbor. He's doing this nice thing for me. I suppose. I just don't know what that nice thing is. Right. I guess I just feel like Lewis is not, and this will continue to play out as we talk about this film, not an intuitive character at no, all. Not really. Like he's one of those characters that I think is sort of very academic and smart in that regard, but like has no instincts for things that you're just like, uh, that is not a good idea. Like this is not, and this is only going to get worse and worse, but in the early days of this cat thing, not a good idea. So basically Lewis goes home and what is it like the next day? Well, Judd Judd tells him the story about his dog. Sure. Sure. That it's like, it it came back and it was horrible. Yes. Judd as a, as a child had buried his dog up there, Spot and Mm -hmm. Spot had come back kind of rabid and so they had to kill him right and um, then lewis is like but what has anyone buried a person he's like no christ on his throne no definitely not Knock over all 100 not and also we're not going to talk about this anymore maybe eh, we will a little bit we'll see you in about 20 minutes not right um, now. yeah um but um <laughs> but uh uh yeah so basically I, I think it is like the next day and lewis is just doing stuff in the garage and there's church like seeing kind of irritable cat but basically like alive and okay and he picks it up and looks at it and he smells terrible, but he's and like... he's got pieces of garbage bag in his whiskers because he's chewed his, chewed his way out. Right. Yeah. But like, he's just kind of okay with it. And then Rachel and the kids come back and they're like, oh, there's church. And like, and again, because he's not a very intuitive character, the youngest daughter, who I think I read later, we're supposed to believe is psychic in this movie well, or she was has, psychic in the she book. Ha- she has dreams that tell the future. Right. Because she re- dreams that church is dead and right. she dreams about Pascal coming to help her. So she's, right. it's, you know, there's a lot of Stephen King like psychic abilities type right. stuff. You got The Shining, you got Carrie where they have these like I guess I just powers. feel like those other movies were a bit more overt about it and I feel I like, like the way that they kind of handle it with Ellie. Subtle, oh, I mean, she's like, okay. she's, she's got some sort of psychic ability but it yeah. never really comes into play. Yeah. But just so she, you know, she has it. But it 
it does come into play insofar as I think that I feel like Ellie is not okay with how church is after and church is like her cat right well she says she wants to get him shampooed because he smells bad he smells bad and it's just like mm, i don't know it doesn't quite seem right it doesn't quite seem um but so it seems like everything's going to be okay and then they decide to go on this picnic mm-hmm. right out in this beautiful field with judd fly some kites hang out and again you're right by like this the world's most terrifying road where these trucks come at 100 miles an hour monster trucks and they take their eye off gauge for a hot second, and yeah, into the road he goes. Yeah, we just have one bloody shoe. Yeah, that's how frame. they do. And I will say the way that they do that sequence. You and I talked about this with Rosemary's Baby. Like, if you were a parent, how you would see this movie? I'm sure that sequence from a parent's point of view is like a nightmare right. um, because they really do it. We're like you know, point of view of the truck, point of view of the kid. And it's, they do a lot where the kid is right in the path where the kid and the truck are in the same shot. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like a forced perspective kind of thing, but it's, it's, it's terrifying because he is so little and so cute and he doesn't see it at all. Like not at all. Um, and so you have the one flying shoe and then you also have the slow motion. No from the dad it's a it's a solid no it's a solid no it's a solid no um so then you have sad gauge funeral scene which is which the worst funeral i think i read somewhere that the executives were like you need to cut that scene because that scene is like no i don't know if that scene has a place in this movie um it's like but yeah it's like the worst funeral ever it's like the dad the dad's uh the grandfather turns on Lewis and then they get in, like a physical fight and then they start like attacking each other and they knock over the casket and you see part of his body and his then like the mom I mean just like then the mom like loses it I mean it's just it's terrible it's really terrible um and then they come back and it's interesting because they come back and they have definitely like you know given Rachel all the drugs so she can sleep and I, lo- I really enjoy how Judd sits down with Lewis and is like, I know what you're thinking. Like, I know what you're thinking mm-hmm. about doing, you know, because he knows how church turned out and that he did legitimately come back. So before it's even Lewis coming to Judd with it, Judd's like, I hear you. And no, like, well, no, no, and, no. And Judd also says that he thinks that it's his fault. He says that I made your son die because I introduced you to the power. So he's like, it was a yeah. chain of like that. That play, the Micmac burial ground is so powerful that it's mm-hmm. caused this chain of events to happen. Which I guess all, all the more to my point to sort of talk about Lewis just again not being an intuitive character because even Judd at this far at this point in the game is like we shouldn't have messed with it at all. Like nothing good will come. Why did he this introduce all it to him in the first place? Because I think he he says he felt bad. He felt like you know Ellie's cat wasn't she wasn't ready to right. learn about death yet, and she. But it's like I like that he knows it was a mistake really early on. But like when he's telling all this to Lewis, like he's listening, but you can just tell it's Lewis like, is not hearing nope, him. No, he doesn't hear it at all. So he tells him about Timmy Baderman, who was yeah. a soldier. Uh, in he says he lied about when I said nobody had been buried there before. Of course, that nobody. other thing that yeah. I said was super not true. Uh, so there was a son who had gone to war and died and his father buried him up there and he came back and, um, there's this shot of him like scrabbling in the dirt and you don't really see what he's doing. And then he turns around and he's got this like kid's leg that he's been eating. Yeah. Uh, and he, um, they set the house on fire, kill him. Like, so yeah. it's a whole thing. But, um, that's what, that's, that's part of this movie where it gets very monkey's paw. 
You yeah. know what I mean? It gets super monkey's paw. Because like, I want my son to come back, it's but all my about, son's going to kill me. Yeah, but it's all about that kind of thing where like if they come back, they're never coming back. There's always like a twist where like they won't come back the way in which you know them. It sort of goes back to the zombie thing almost, you yeah. know? But that's the part of the story that gets... And there's also so many flashbacks in this movie. Yeah. That's, that's like the third flashback and we're like halfway through this movie. Um, yeah, I think with, with grief and especially with like a parent to son thing, I think he thinks like fucked up gauge is better than no gauge correct yeah and i think that and I, that's the sort of the exact kind of like moral conundrum of the monkey's paw where their son get and that story gets caught in the machinery right and the dad kind of knows like what's going to come back is going to be your son caught in the machinery but she's like the mom's like it's okay like i'll take it i'll love him it'll be great it'll be no so we haven't discussed uh the scariest part of this film which is zelda okay I think is you I think, think I don't know if I think it's the scariest part of the thing. I think it's like the, one of the most terrifying images in horror movie at all. Like I can remember okay. how badly it scared really? me. So Z- Rachel had a a sister who was uh, had spinal meningitis, and they, she tells the story about they kept yet her, kept another flashback, another flashback. They keep her in the back room, and her spine is all twisted, and she looked like a monster, and she died died while she while Rachel was taking care of her as Alone. a child. Um, and uh, we showed uh, Pet Cemetery at the New Beverly, and I asked Mary Lambert about Zelda and how terrifying she is. Mm-hmm. And she said because she had a man play her. Oh, really? So that's why it looks so weird. And you're like, why? What is wrong with her? She doesn't. Act, she doesn't act like a girl, like a like a woman. Oh, you how know? interesting. Um, huh. Zelda. Oof. Yeah. Man. No, that's not good. That's some scary stuff. So Gage, uh, he does manage to take Gage up. So the 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 scene. Um, <sighs> So Lewis, you I know, know exactly what you're going to talk about right now, but keep going. Lewis, uh-huh. you know, we get a progression of Lewis going insane in this film. And sure. I think Dale Midkiff really sells this really well. But he, when he goes to dig up Gage, they, he goes into the grave and there's this shot of like the police, a police car going by. And they have the shot of him smiling so evilly because he's gotten, he's like getting away with it. Mm-hmm. And then they have him rocking Gage yeah. on the side of his grave. After he's like dug him up. So like you see him start to dig the grave and then we kind of cut away and then when we cut back, the grave has been dug and the casket's open and you just see the back of him holding mm-hmm. him and just like rocking quietly. It's such shorthand. It's such like insanity shorthand, the rocking. Yeah. But I think that's where Mary Lambert really succeeds in this film because I feel like there's a lot of instances where she sort of cuts through you know, yes, he, you know, the digging, the opening, the pulling him out, da, da, da. like, I don't know. I, I just like that she kind of did away with all that and just stuck with an image. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sort of solitary images that replace otherwise kind of like plot sequences in this film. Um, and I think that that's, um, I think that's really interesting. And I think that helps make this movie more effective in sort of the heartstring pulling department, which, you know, with like little kid death, there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it, there's a, there's a shot of this film that sticks out for me and I'm sure it sticks out for nobody else, but, um, they uh, Dale Bidkiff's sleeping and he wakes up. Do you remember this? He falls out of bed and hits his head on the corner his eye? of the nightstand. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I met Dale Bidkiff once and I was I was used to be a secretary for this place called UFO Films. Oh, I remember that. Okay. And I was like doing secretary stuff and I looked up and Dale Bidkiff was standing there and I was like, as I said, Pet Cemetery was like everything in my youth. And I just was like, oh, oh so excited. Uh-huh. And I, but I managed to, to ask him about that. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, I just did it. I was like, are you serious? Because that looks terrible. And he's uh, like, yeah, just did it. Just hit his head like so hard. Wait, so he was supposed to fall out of bed and hit himself in the head like yeah. that on the nightstand? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he did it. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's a great scene. Good on him. Uh, um, so yeah, so basically he, uh, 
buries him. And then Rachel has to go on a trip, like back home, she, right? He, she, he so sends she's out her and Ellie away because he right. knows what he's going to do. Right. So he says, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just kill them before they come back and they'll never know. <laughs> just Insane plan. So bonkers. All right. But Ellie's having terrible dreams because Pascal keeps coming to her right. and telling her what's happening. And that's when I think we were really cemented with this idea that Pascal, even though he looks completely horrible, is really their guardian angel, mm-hmm. is trying so hard to be like, stop, you guys need to stop. This is not, you just... And I kind of like that idea that the sort of the young person that was taken out of life really early is the person telling these people, no, like you just have to accept it. It is what it is. And the person that sort of set this whole thing in motion is the older person who ought to perhaps Mm -hmm. already know that lesson. That's true. You know what I mean? Like it's not Judd. Like if it was sort of the role reversal, that would probably make more sense. Mm -hmm. But I like that Judd's the one who kind of kind of knew better, but kind of put all these things in motion. And Pascal's like, no, like this was it. I had my time and that's it. That's it for me. Like them's he's, the breaks. He's you know? so cool though. Like he's able to like, they, you know, she's having this trouble. Like there's the, the power of the burial ground, which is trying to stop Rachel from getting home. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to help her get home. Right. So he like helps her get a rental car, helps her get a truck to pick her up. Mm-hmm. And of course the cut truck is 666 is the number of the truck. Yeah, I did see that. Um, <laughs> and my favorite quote from the film is when uh, she's, when Rachel's getting out to, to go, back home mm-hmm. and the, and she says I'm sure everything will be, will be fine and Pasco says I'm not yeah and that's when he's yeah because I know the previous scene or an earlier scene I think it's the last time that Pascal was really sort of trying to get Dale to talk to him he has is like carrying Gage and just walks right through him yeah and it's just like gone so yeah so it's like the end of this movie is sort of like Rachel trying to get back and then Gage having come back and when he comes back uh Lewis is asleep, so he goes through his medical bag, grabs a scalpel, and goes over to Judd's house. And the way this is shot is in a way where we don't really see Gage. Right. It's a lot of sort of like you can see like little hands and you can hear this. There's this giggle effect thing that they really use a lot <laughs> in the sequence. It's creepy. It is creepy, but they use it quite a bit. And then he goes over to Judd. Um, and it does not end well for so, our friend Judd. So uh, they, they do like a, tri- a triple blow of really intense... Scalpel, which again to do to Fred Gwynn is just like cheese. As, as a th- like a three-year-old kid doing to Fred Gwynn, um, so you get the iconic uh, scalpel through the Achilles tendon, which I never look at that. I was like, you never looked at that? Head down. Oh, it's great. Oh, I think the first time I saw because I didn't okay. know it was coming, but like upon rewatch, I was like, uh, head down. Okay, uh, then slices across his mouth, and and Fred Gwynn does Joker a great, style. Yeah, and does a great like he's like choking on blood in his mouth kind of thing, and then Gage bites his throat out. Yeah. So, and that part, I think, is sort of when you really see him yes. full-blown, is there's definitely a three-year-old taking a chomp, or two-and-a-half-year-old taking a I don't a know how they got that kid to make that performance, but man, yeah. he's scary. There's this kind For of like... a kid who's so cute yeah. to go so scary. And they're doing it in a kind of way where he hasn't been dead that long, so they sort of do it where there's sort of one little scar on his face, but otherwise he looks pretty normal. Um, but when there has a lot of shots where he has the scalpel in his hand and he makes this like scrunching, like evil face. I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, like err face and it's kind of pretty terrifying. Um, so then Rachel comes back and goes into Judd's house and she encounters Gage and at first and then they have just this amazing shot where he is with that hat and that oh. little cane. Yeah, because there's this paint. They it's have like the this painting. super stylized shot. It's a, I don't understand exactly what this is about. There's a painting in uh, Rachel's house when she's running out when Zelda dies that's mm-hmm. basically Gage and Church. 
Yeah. And it's like a little kid in the hat with the thing, uh-huh. with the cat. And then he like shows up later in that outfit. So. Yeah. And it's interesting because sort of the, the end of this movie is sort of plays a lot with like what is real, what is not a little bit. But there's the, yeah, just this amazing shot where like you see Gage in this really a bizarre kind of outfit. It's like, hi, mommy. Hello. And she's like, oh, what? This will be great. And, and then stabbed in face. Yeah. Um, and then Lewis comes up, comes in, kind of was woken up and realized what's going on, runs to just how Judd's house, finds dead Judd, um, finds dead Rachel, who has somehow been strung up in the attic by hey, a three-year-old. He's like, all right, let's make it, Whatever. let's make it fun for dad. Yeah. Um, and then they have to do like the, you know, and he definitely tries to kill his dad and he has like those needles, like the sort of, some sort of drug in it to kill his son. Um, and he, like, doesn't stab him in the neck. It's this interesting thing where he's having this battle with his kid, and part of it is really violent, but when it comes to the part of actually injecting him, it's all done very slowly. Mm-hmm. It's like he slowly injects it, slowly pumps it, and you can see the kid be like, mm, like, not liking it. And then he wanders around and says, no fair. Mm-hmm. And then, like, kind of wanders down the hallway and just kind of sits down and dies. Um, and Lewis sets the house on fire. Yes. And they do have a spectacular, like, him carrying Gage, House of Flame behind him I sequence. I had no idea how many horror movies destroy houses. Yeah. I feel like every movie we watch, it's either burns or explodes or implodes right. or maybe that's sucked like into a, another dimension. Maybe that's a lesson we should just learn really early on. Is like, once even shit just starts to go down, just, like, burn it. Burn the house immediately. <laughs> everything. Burn the whole thing. Like, because you were going to get to that point in about an hour anyway. So... Maybe just early days. Just, so just uh, Lewis is now completely officially insane, and of course takes Rachel to the pet cemetery. Right. Because well, again, the, the back McMacbarian ground beyond the pet beyond cemetery. the pet cemetery. Sorry, I needed to be correct in that nerd way just then. Right. Somehow that title though, the McMacburial ground beyond pet cemetery, doesn't quite have the same ring. So perhaps <laughs> I can see why Stephen King's the pet cemetery actually seems okay. It doesn't seem you know yeah. that part seems okay. McBack burial ground beyond it, not so good. Um, yeah, because Les, uh, Lewis refuses to learn any lessons from this movie. He's like, well, that was a nightmare, so let's do it again. And so, yeah, grabs her, buries her, does like the rock burial with her, and then just goes home against his fridge and waits. Plain solitaire. Plain solitaire, waiting for my dead wife to come back to life. And come back she does. And boy does she, yeah. Coming back, oozing all sorts of goodies out of her eyeball and, and just a they, horrible mess. And they like they have that like, super gross make out kiss, like, like just. And they're like really, Mary Lambert's like, make sure you get some of that eyeball juice in your mouth when you kiss her. Correct. She's like, so okay. she has like eyeball juice coming over her mouth and then he goes and it's like, Bleh, like just super, yeah, like that's just, all right, and movie. And uh, she stabs him. She stabs That's true, yeah, yeah. So, but and, it's like the raised knife. Yeah, well, there's a there's a scream. We don't really see it. Yes, but we assume he's dead. Yeah. Um. So hats off to Dale Midkiff for going full on in this movie. Yeah. He really sells Lewis losing his shit. And it starts from my favorite quote in this movie is uh, when they're going to bury church. When they're going to go bury church. Uh, where he's walking over the sticks and Judd tells him he has to be careful and he and he doesn't he falls through them and he says uh, I lost my happy thought after he fell which I enjoy that Peter Pan reference but we basically start with like Peter Pan references with this character all the way to just continually making every mistake you yes. can no I, lessons learned nothing like just and it's interesting because I had read somewhere where Mary Lambert sort of really thought that this movie was about obsession and about people's obsession with death and not really being able to accept it or let it go. And it's interesting that they pick sort of a protagonist that's a doctor Mm -hmm. as the one that just... Because Rachel has her own issues with death because of Zelda. Right. But 
he just has this one, this doctor who just cannot, cannot accept it, cannot let it go, cannot to, I mean, the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the line where he's, he, uh, when he's, he, uh, syringes church as well to kill church. And oh, as, yeah, yeah, as yeah, his sorry. church is kind of backing away, dying, he's go on, lie down, play dead, then just be dead. Like, so, so out of his mind. It's Crackers. so good. Yeah. And I think that's also kind of meant to be the sort of the point about Missy's death too, is that it's that, you know, like another thing that this family has to endure that they can't accept. And so Lewis is like, but we don't have to. Instead, we'll just keep people, keep reburying people and bring their zombie version back to life. So this film uh, got uh, some really high scores from us. So we have our our rating system. Uh, We have our gore factor. Uh, One is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. Five is run for the barf bag. This gets a gore factor of five. For sure. The Achilles tendon does it by itself. And the, the thing across the mouth. I just... Oh, so good. I don't know if it's worse that like a two-year-old's doing it. I mean, I think it might be. Oh, yeah, know. of course. But Mary Lambert said that uh, Fred Gwynn was her first choice to play Judd. Oh, really? Which makes me very happy. Good for her. Yeah, because he's great. Good for her. Um, and then our movie rating, we have one to five chainsaws. Uh, one, if you're desperate. Two, if it barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen Betty... Mm. Three, seen better, seen worse. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastic oracle. This movie, for me, is fantastic oracle. I gave it a five. I gave it a four and a half. Why? I feel, and this is not to, you know, there's a lot of good performances in this movie. I kind of feel the couple of Rachel and Lewis, like I am not as, like, okay, 100%. So if, the, if their relationship was a little bit better, I'd give it a five? I guess so. I also just think that there was something... I guess I, they're they're so divided in this movie, like physically, quite a bit that yeah. I never really kind of felt that the struggle between the two of them was like a unit. And I feel like if they were a stronger unit, perhaps in the beginning of this movie, when Lewis kind of peels off to be completely and utterly mad, I feel like there also would have been more of a loss there and more of a sadness there. Like they really were. Okay. Like you guys had everything going for you, and I think they sort of checked that box by having like attractive actors and attractive kids. And but I don't know. I just feel like there was an opportunity for something more there. So, oh, like a half a star more, um, but... So how do you survive this film? Because uh, Judd makes it very clear that the burial ground has power that will, mm-hmm. like, take you over. So how do you survive something like that? Because we can't say that's all Lewis's fault, necessarily, because... Sure we can. It, but the power. Yeah, sure, the power. But then the whole, like, point of survival is to recognize the power that's just going to, like, bite you in the ass later and be like, no, thank you, power. I'm right. not interested in you. So the point, if Lewis had, I mean, you know, Judd's not helping things, but I feel like if Lewis had, like, walked church over, like, the glowing sticks, seen the, like, stone pentagram thing and been like, no, like, I'm just going to go bury my cat in the pet cemetery like a person because cats die and, like, them's the breaks. I feel like things would have been a lot better because then he wouldn't have seen him come back. And then if Gage died, I don't know if he would have really thought, right. oh, oh, I can really do I don't know. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't an option until Judd showed him it was an option. Correct. Yeah. And so I guess you can, to an extent, blame Judd for that. But also, I feel like protagonists in these movies, if you're going to be final girl, final family, final couple, you have to have these choices put in front of you and make the right choice. If it looks too good to be true... It is. So is Ellie the final girl then? She's the only surviving She is, completely. And I think that's what's so interesting about her having like this sort of psychic abilities and being like, hmm, all's not right. Church doesn't seem right. Daddy seems crazy. Like, you know, because even she is sort of more accepting of Gage's death. We're like drawing pictures and she's crying and doing all the normal people stuff. But well, she's the she's the catalyst for this whole movie and doesn't even know it because she mm. doesn't know that dad buried the cat and brought him back just for her. And that's yeah. how started the whole thing started. That's true. But I do think him bringing back Gage is really about him. Of course More it is. More than it is about Ellie. 
Um, so you, thank you for listening to us talk about Pet Cemetery today. You can find us on all social medias. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter. We have all the things. And then also, um, if you guys um, enjoy this podcast, we'd love to have a review on iTunes because the more review that we get, people can find us better. And uh, that is great for everyone. Yeah, everybody likes it when people listen to us, yeah. including us. <laughs> uh, so continuing next week in our Stephen king Arama, we are going to be talking about 1979, Toby Hooper directed Salem's Lot. Good one. Yeah, we're yeah, going to have a lot of fun. about that one. We will see you then for Vampires and Madness in Maine. <laughs> see you guys. Bye.